find the Gospel of Mark, the 14th chapter, and beginning at verse 43. safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him, and he saith, Master, Master, and he kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him, and one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote the servant, the high priest, cut off his ear. Jesus answered and said unto them, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. Now I have read to you this part of the text this morning to set the stage for what I am going to read next. I'm not going to preach on that first part. It's just so you know where we are in the Bible. This is what I want to talk to you about. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young man laid hold of him, on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask God that you would partake today, God, of this service, and that you would undertake to touch and move upon us, anoint my words and the ears of those that hear me. Today, with the anointing of the Lord, let the word of God go forward. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen and amen. Amen. Shake a few hands and greet some folks as you're being seated. Welcome someone to the house of God this morning. Over the last three Sundays, Marking the beginning of the year, it's amazing how quick one month of the new year is already down. Today is the 1st of February. We just celebrated the new year and already one of 12 has gone by. But in our last weeks, we have roamed over several topics. We've talked about the power of blessing and speaking words of blessing into people's lives. I hope that we are beginning to practice the fine art of blessing people with our words. The second week we talked about service. Ministry begins with an S. How do you spell ministry? We talked about service, the importance, the need to learn to serve people. I hope that we are improving our world by improving our serve. And uh, last week uh, we spoke, again, what did we speak about? <laughs> Help me out. Friendship. That's it. Friendship. We spoke of friendship and making friends, the power of making friends. Today I want to talk to you about the man in the corner of the room.
There's more to us than we know. If we could be made to see it, perhaps for the rest of our lives, we will be unwilling to settle for less, said Kirk Hahn. The late Earl Nightingale, writer and publisher of inspirational and motivational material, once told a story about a boy named Sparky. For Sparky, school was all but impossible. He failed every subject in the eighth grade. He flunked physics in high school, getting a grade of zero. Sparky also flunked Latin, algebra, and English, and he didn't do much better in sports. Although he did manage to make the school's golf team, he promptly lost the only important match of the season, and uh, there was a consolation match, but he lost that one too. Throughout his youth, Sparky was awkward socially. He was not actually disliked by other students. It was just that no one cared that much about him. He was astonished if a classmate ever said hello to him outside of school hours. There's no way to tell how he might have done it dating because Sparky never once asked a girl to go out with him in high school. He was too afraid of being turned down. Because, you see, Sparky was what people called a loser. He, his classmates, everyone around him knew it. He just was a loser. So he rolled with it. He made up his mind early in life that if things were meant to work out, they would work out. Otherwise, he would content himself uh, with whatever appeared to be in his inevitable mediocrity. <clears throat> However, one thing was important to Sparky. One thing ignited his passion, and that was drawing. He loved to draw, and he was proud of his artwork. Of course, nobody else appreciated it. In his singer, senior year of high school, he submitted some cartoons to the editors of the, year, of the yearbook, and they were turned down. And despite this particular rejection, he was so convinced, he believed in himself and his ability so much that he decided to become a professional artist. And so after completing high school, he wrote a letter to the Walt Disney Studios and he was told to send some samples of his artwork, and uh, the subject for a cartoon was suggested. So he drew the proposed cartoon, and he spent a great deal of time on it and on all the other drawings that he submitted. And finally, he got a reply from Disney Studios. Yes, once again, rejected. Another loss for the lonesome loser. So... Sparky decided to write his own autobiography in cartoons, and he described his childhood self, a little boy loser and a chronic underachiever, and the cartoon character would soon become famous worldwide. For Sparky, the boy who had such a lack of success in school and whose work was rejected again and again was none other than Charles Schultz who created the Peanuts comic strip and the little cartoon whose kite would never fly and who would never succeed in kicking a football, Charlie Brown became an endearing, long-running cartoon, still marketable, still commercial, still a favorite, uh, a favorite of us. In the words of Robert Orban, a comedy writer, he said, 
Sometimes I get the feeling that the whole world is against me, but deep down I know that's not true. Some of the smaller countries are neutral. In the words of the late actress Lauren Bacall, who had a long and extended career in cinema, well past her prime, marketable, youthful years and youthful looks, she had this to say, I'm not a has-been. I am a will-be. Something we need to speak into our own life. No matter where we are right now. Nobody's perfect. I'm certainly not. And neither are you. But we could all be better than we were yesterday. We could all be somebody better than we were last year. We could all be somebody better than our last failure, even better than our last triumph. We can be better if we choose to be better. We can be better. Now, societies are made up of all sorts of people and You have personalities on every spectrum of the scale. But I believe the scale could be roughly approximated on three levels. At the top, we would have the outstanding personalities, people who are just outstanding. They're at the top. At the bottom, I hate to use this word, but just so you understand, inferior. People that would be considered inferior. And somewhere in the middle, the very large middle, are the mediocre. The mediocre. Most people land somewhere in the middle. No one ever tries for it. We don't try out to be mediocre. We don't strive to be mediocre. It's just, it seems, that's where we level out. At some point in life, we just wind up there. We, we level out there. And I accept it as axiomatic that everyone, everyone has the potential and the ability to rise up. Everyone. Everyone. By choosing to change and by refusing to accept the the status quo, by refusing to accept, to, to, to know that you are something capable of rising above the level of where you're at now, of wherever I'm at, of whatever I'm at, of wherever I'm at, I'm able and capable of rising above that. And just to speak of myself for a moment, uh, this year I have been focused on uh, moving out of the comfort zone, if possible, and and, and, and trying to do things that could make my life better. My, my messages lately have reflected that. But my, on a personal level, I've begun something I call a process journal. Where I'm writing down where I feel like I'm at right now. And exploring the negatives. And exploring the limitations. And exploring the hindrances that are in my way. And then trying to see where I want to be. And where I want to go. And I intend to journal this year. And uh, just in my own private thoughts and moments to, to look at. To take a look at. To look back at what I've written. And to, to express where I would like to be. And to see how, how I can process. Because I believe that, that if we take thought. 
And if we challenge ourselves uh, and take thought about what's going on with our lives, if we have, if we find a way to move forward with purpose, that we actually can make steps to move forward and to improve ourselves. And so uh, that is something that I feel uh, that I need to do in my own life, is just to push myself a little bit further, a little bit harder, to, to make myself grow, to not uh, accept a leveling out, to not say that, well, I'm almost a retirement age and I, I, I can rest on my laurels and I can uh, be, now begin to, to look back and talk about all the things that I did do while still not planning to do anything. Listen, I want to always be doing something. Amen. To the day I die, I want to be doing something. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to explore. I want to develop. I want to improve. I don't have to just hang it up and dry it out. And neither do you. Neither do you. Neither do us. We can become better, stronger, more capable, more positive. We can become achievers. We can become doers. We can succeed at whatever we wish to succeed. One of the things that has helped me in that, in that movement has been that I, I spoke of it recently, sort of an epiphany I had one day while sitting on the couch feeling blue and discouraged and sorry for myself and feeling like the ultimate loser. And I had this revelation that I believe it was from God. It just came like a flash. That I didn't have to accept how I felt now. I didn't have to accept this feeling. I didn't have to be down. I didn't have to be discouraged. I didn't have to be miserable. I didn't have to hate myself. I didn't have to spend the rest of my life hating myself for not being better than I was. I could have whatever I wanted to if I'd set my mind to it and give my heart to it. I could be whatever I wanted. If I wanted peace, if I wanted uh, that blessing from God, if I wanted to live in that realm of blessing from God, I could have it. If I chose it, I could have it. I don't quite know how to give Get there, but I believe that I can get there now because of that experience. I believe that I can. And I want to share with you what I believe is possible for all of us that we can be something that we want to be in God. And so you've learned the originator of the Peanuts characters did. Just that, he created a beloved and long-running cartoon series. And who else but Charlie Brown is the poster child of the lonesome loser and the champion of, of, the, of mediocrity? Who else but he? And no wonder we love him so much. Because he gives us a pass. He gives us a pass. He says it's okay to be mediocre. But we don't have to be mediocre. And certainly Charles Schultz was not. As it turned out, he was anything but mediocre. <clears throat> now, the challenge before us today is to examine where we are and to consider where we would like to be and then to plan and to take some steps to get there. And in the words of the Donald, Trump that is, as long as you're going to think anyway, you might as well think big. And part of what I am processing in my journal are the remarks of people who have made it in life in some 
They've achieved some level of success. They have become lifetime achievers. And I listen to what they say. And what I'm hearing is that these people didn't just get there on their first attempt. But they tried and tried and tried again and again and again. They tried and failed but they tried again. They tried and failed and failed and tried again. They got up and they tried again. People, that is the secret of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of, of, of Christ, to grow in the Holy Spirit, to grow in God. It, we're not who we were because we failed to make a mark. We're not who we were because there was a bad day that we had and we didn't achieve what we should have achieved. We are whatever we are going to be because we choose it today. One of the beautiful things I've learned, really learned in the Spirit, is that the mercies of the Lord are renewed every morning. Hallelujah. The mercy of the Lord is new every day. You could have a bad day yesterday. You could have just been off the wall. Off your meds. (laughs) And off the wall. You could have just had a bad day. Messed up so bad. But you wake up this morning and you can wake up with a whole new feeling. You went to bed feeling miserable last night, like a loser, a failure. But you can wake up in the morning and just don't have that feeling. Just don't have that feeling. But but realize that today is a new day. It is a new day. It is a brand new start. And whatever marks was against me, I left it with the Lord yesterday. I put it under the blood. I said my prayers. I repented. God knows I'm sorry. I feel bad about it. But that was yesterday. I'm not going to feel bad about it today because today is a new day. And I can write my new reality from this day forward. That is a powerful tool in the hands of a believer to defeat the lie of Satan that says you will never rise up. You will never be better. You will never get over. You will never be stronger. That is a lie. That is a lie of Satan. We can't overcome the past. We can. Now, who is this certain young man that uh, we read about in our text of Scripture? This certain young man. Tradition identifies him with John Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Mark was his Roman surname. Mark, Marcus meant a large hammer. And uh, John Mark, Mark was an apostle, but not, and not one of the official 12 apostles. He was an apostle after the fact, like Paul himself was an apostle afterwards. Mark was a, an apostle. On standby. He was an apostle on standby. He was a certain young man. Standing in the corner of a room. When the word came down that Jesus had been arrested. And was being taken away to be put on trial. He came to know that because all of the apostles, all the disciples had fled. They'd all fled, trickled back into Jerusalem. And 
The word came very quickly amongst these sources to the house where John Mark lived. And he was there standing, as it were, in the corner of a room. And he heard something, and it motivated him. He was dressed for bed, not dressed for running or exercise or going to work. He was dressed for bed. But when he heard what had happened, he ran out quickly, just covered, as it were, with the sheet that he had been wrapped in and fled out into the night to find out what was going on. But in the midst of all the ruckus, as he approached the high priest's house and the young men that were there, the young men that were friends of the high priest family and uh, uh, supporters of, of the Sanhedrin and troublemakers for the disciples of Christ laid hold on him and he pulled away and fled into the night uh, as it were in his all natural state. Point is that he was... Somebody standing in the corner of the room, standing on the fringe, as it were, of all this great movement of transitioning here. The disciples here, Jesus here, uh, important people in the church. But he was a young man. He was not somebody who was intimately connected in that sense. But one of those people in the fringe, one of those people in the church, one of those people in the group, he was... A part of this group, but not an important part, not, not a significant part, not even a well-known part, but he was connected with the events that were transpiring in some way. A man standing in the corner of the room. We first hear of him when Peter was thrown into prison. Herod had kept taken James, the Apostle James, and had him beheaded and had Peter in prison and was preparing to behead him. And the church gathered together in the house of Mary, who was John Mark's mother. Mary was a godly and well-to-do widow who, whose home was a favorite meeting place for the disciples and later for the saints of the church. And so it was here that they gathered to pray Peter out of prison. And you know the answer to the prayer. The angel was sent and the shackles fell off of Peter's hands and the, and the iron gates swung open before him like an, like an electronic eye door swung open and he passed through and he went to this house, John Mark's mother's house, Mary's house, and he rattled the gate and Rhoda, the young girl that was in there with John Mark, came out and answered, you know the story about how that happened. And that's how we first came to know John Mark because of this home prayer meeting. We see that in Acts chapter 12 and 12 and Colossians 4 and 10. Now Mary's brother, Mark's mother, Mary, had a brother, who, which of course would have been Mark's uncle, and Mary's brother's name was Barnabas. We know a good deal about Barnabas. He was an important character in the early church. He was never one of the twelve. He was never one of those disciples closely associated with the Lord. And he does not really come into prominence until the church has begun. It has gotten started. 
and uh, he he comes to the fore because he had he was a Levite. He was a he was a wealthy man, and he sold possessions, and he turned the funds over to the to the apostles and to the church, and they used it to feed the poor and and attracted a lot of people to the church, and, and many people were saved because of John Mark. John Mark's ministry. He's been called the son of consolation. John, uh, not John Mark, but Barnabas. He uh, had a tremendous ministry. He had been called the son of consolation because he, he was a man that he, he befriended people. He was the champion of, of losers. He was the champion of the mediocre. He was, he, was the, he was a person that knew how to speak and express blessing in lives of people. He never had a cursing. He never had a negative word. He didn't, he didn't have a negative assessment or a negative judgment on people. He saw the loser. And he said, the loser can do it. The loser can do it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And uh, so in, 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 in Barnabas, Mark had a staunch ally and a champion. And Mark's a convert of Peter. And uh, Peter claims him in 1 Peter 5, 13 as his son in the gospel. My son, he calls him. Son of the gospel. And uh, he would accompany Peter closely, be closely associated with Peter for 12 years. Now, he's a certain young man. You add 12 years to that. Now he's probably maybe in his early 30s. Okay, he's reaching a point of maturity. Still young, but growing up, you, you would expect of somebody, young man in his, his 30s, you would expect certainly much more of him than you would of him in his 20s. But it was here at this point in life that he would attend Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Paul's first of three missionary journeys. And uh, John Mark was, went along with them. Acts 13 and 13, Acts 15 and 30 talk about this experience here where John Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas. Now there was a tremendous Revival that was taking place during this missionary tour and journey. Paul and Barnabas together were successful in starting churches. But was John Mark uh, able to really write of it and speak of it? Not for very long. Because even though there can be a great revival, and even though churches can be planted and started, Lives can be lost in the process. Health can be broken in the process. Money can be lost in the process. Churches can be washed out in the process. It isn't always positive. Satan never allows or lets uh, the kingdom of God move forward without a fight or a battle. You've got a fight on your hands every day of your life that you're trying to do something to evangelize the world and bring the gospel of the kingdom to the world. You're going to have a battle and a fight on your hands. I mean to tell you, this is not for the cowardly. It's not for the weak. It's not for, for the person that does not have himself well-founded and grounded. And, and John Mark wasn't there yet. He wasn't there. He began to see that despite the excitement of the soul winning, despite the positives of the church building and planting, there was a lot of negative. There was a lot of suffering that had to be endured. That was a part of the price you paid to preach the gospel was to suffer. And he, and he didn't want it. He didn't want it. He was afraid of it. And he turned back. He turned back. Now, I've I, I got to tell you, i got to make a personal confession. I've been your pastor for, oh, 
how many years? 33, going on 34 years. All right? That's a long time. And um, I, I have been, I've been here. I've been faithful to the call here. I stayed. I stuck with it. I stuck it out. There are men, there are men who have come and gone from New York. Amen. They didn't do much here, but they've gone somewhere else, and they're doing tremendous it would be so easy somewhere else. So much more encouraging. So much more incentive. So much more positive. So it's a battle in many ways to stay faithful and loyal. And then I'll have people that have... There have been hundreds of people that have come and gone through our doors and the doors of our ministry. Hundreds of people have been baptized and got saved at some point and then fell away. Fell away. Uh, and many of them still are out there drifting. But they know what the truth is. They know the only true way is this apostolic way. This old time gospel message is the only one that's going to save them. They know that. And they're not ready to live it because they are counting the cost. And, and the price of suffering is too high for them at this point. They're not ready to pay that. I don't pay that. But they're counting on me being here and us being here when they decide the day comes to turn around and get right with God. They're hoping this church will still be open. They're, they're hoping old, old Pastor Lefebvre will still be around. Amen. Who preached to them so long, so many years ago, that he'll still be around. He'll still be here. They're counting on it and they're hoping on it. But, but you see, they weren't here. During the suffering years. They weren't here during the hard years. They ran. And I got to tell you, for those who are paying the price, for those who are sticking with it, for those who are going to take the stripes on their back, for those who are going to get the beat ups, those who are going to get the beat downs, those who are going to struggle and struggle and struggle to pay the price, it ain't easy to look in the face and the eyes of someone who didn't stand by you when all the rest of the world had turned on you. Not easy to accept that kind of weakness. Because you almost caved and crumbled, but you didn't. And they did. You could have used that help. So here's the situation where Paul was. This is where he was. He was the guy that was getting beat, thrown in prison. Escaping out of cities in baskets let down over the wall. He paid the price. But he never stopped pushing himself to go out there. He never stopped pushing. He went, did three missionary journeys, was shipwrecked uh, uh, twice, was beaten three times, uh, had, was stoned to death. He, did, he never stopped pushing himself. And there is very little room in, in the life of someone who is totally giving themselves. Very little room there. For understanding how somebody could stand in the shadow in the corner of the room and watch all that stuff go on without ever stepping forward and taking a part of it. And so it led to the dissolution of this successful evangelistic team. Paul and Barnabas were a great unit while they were together. But because of John Mark, because he failed... 
and because that uh, Barnabas wanted to continue to give him a second chance and continue to involve him and use him. And Paul said, no, I can't use somebody like that. I, I got to have somebody on my team that when the chips are down, they're going to still be there. They're going I can look at them and say, look, you know, they're willing to go in the stocks with me. They're willing to go in the prison with me. I don't have to do it alone by myself. Uh, I don't have to be the guy that everybody thinks is the strong man of the team. But we can be strong together. And so he, he didn't want to give John Mark the chance. But Barnabas split off with Paul, with Paul and took John Mark again. And uh, John Mark learned. I have to say that, that Mark must have learned the galling lesson of his failure. He'd learned that it had cost him his reputation with Paul. He had learned that it had cost him his reputation with other saints and with other Christians who had counted on him to do the work and to be there and to be strong and to be faithful. And he had failed. He had flopped. He had gone out. And, 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 but somewhere between missionary trip one and missionary trip two with Barnabas, somewhere John Mark decided, I am not going to be standing in the corner of the room watching everyone else get involved, watching everyone else take up the cross, watching everyone else pay the price. I'm not going to stand in the corner any longer. I'm going to get out of the corner and I'm going to step up and do what I have to do and prove, prove that I can do it. I'm going to prove I can do it. And so it would be that later later on he would be reinstated with Paul, who gives him praise in Colossians 4, 10 and 11, in Philemon verse 24, and in 2 Peter 4 and 11. Paul speaks highly of John Mark and says of him, for he is profitable uh, uh, unto me for the gospel. Where he had not been profitable, he changed it. Who changed it? Was it Paul that changed his mind? No! It was John Mark that changed his actions. That rose above the mediocre. That rose above just being one of the guys that came to church and sat on the pew and held back and pulled back and stayed on the fringe and sat in the corner. Hallelujah. And so, John Mark would rise to the prominence of a bishop, the office of an, a bishop and an apostle in the church, and would have written one of the four Gospels that we love and treasure so much, uh, the Gospel according to Mark. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And later he would become a martyr. And his bones would be disinterred and carried to Vienna, uh, uh, to uh, uh, Venice, rather, to Venice, and would be instated there at St. Mark's of Venice, where they rest to this day. And St. Mark's Cathedral uh, would claim the relics of the bones of this bishop and apostle, hallelujah, that had made something. He had made something. He went beyond the ordinary. He went beyond the mediocre. He, he saw the example of the achiever, of the outstanding. And he said, I can if I try. I can. I can if I try. I can. I can. I can rise up if I want to rise up. And that's the big if. The big if. Now, we see Jesus in Luke, the ninth chapter. And uh, he's handling people. He's handling 
crowds of people. And I want to just read a few verses here beginning uh, with verse number 57. It came to pass that as they went that, their way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He said to another, Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And, to, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, you've all probably experienced people telling you, promising you certain things or, you know, wanting, speaking, they say the right thing. I mean, you know, I'm going to stand with you. I got your back. I'm going to be there. I, you know, you ever need anything, give me a call. Right? I'll be there. I'll help you. But they don't intend to follow through. They, you know, they, they were sincere in the moment they said it. But when it comes down to the date when they really, you really need them and you call them, they, they're not coming. They're, they never were coming. They just, they wanted to look good. They wanted you to think well of them. And they wanted to look good in the moment, you know. They, there are people who are so gifted in knowing how to say all the right things and sound good. It sounds good until you really need it. Hey, it's time to deliver. I really need to help now. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't do it. And, and, and Jesus, <clears throat> can you imagine now, his ministry has taken off. He's become famous. And everywhere he goes, great crowds of people are generated. And, and he has quite a following. A fan base is big. And uh, as big as it is, it's also shallow as fan bases can be. And so there were people that, oh, I, you know, I want to be a part of this. This is, this is happening and it's going. And I want to be a part of this. Uh, let me let me follow thee. I will I will go wherever you go, Jesus. I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to get on. I'm going to get on. I'm getting in the church or whatever the church is doing. I'm doing it. I'm with it. I'm 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 down with it. I'm going. I'm going. But Jesus, he knew. He knew. He had probably probably gotten sick of hearing all that. He probably had by this time, frankly, had just gotten sick of hearing all that. You know, how do you handle fame? How do you handle popularity? How do you, how do you handle the crowds pressing in and wanting a piece of you? Want, you, know, uh, you know, have a part of, of you, but, you know, that they, they can't. They're, it's, it's never going to happen. They're not really sincere. It's not going to happen. I'll follow you wherever you go. Well, he said, listen, even the fox has a hole to crawl in at night. Birds of the air have nests to go to, but I don't have anywhere I'm going to... I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. You can follow me, but... But uh, I don't know where your next meal's coming from. And I don't know where you're going to sleep because I don't know where I'm going to sleep. I got nothing I can guarantee you. How quickly such a fan base evaporates. Now, if the man had said, I really want to follow you, Lord, and I've got money. 
I've got enough money to last me for three months. Listen, I'll make sure that we get boat tail six for the next three months. You and I, at least, will have a place. I've got the money. i got the funds. Now, don't worry. Uh, we're going to go to Bob Evans for breakfast. And uh, we're going to go to the steakhouse for dinner. And, and we've got plenty to eat. I, I can take it. I can... Listen, I want to go with you, and, and I want to go with you so bad, and I got funds, and I can fund it, and I can make it happen, Lord. I can make it happen. That's the cutoff point for a lot of Christians, isn't it? Isn't it? Because we're willing to go with Christ, and we're willing to go with the cross as long as He takes care of the bill. As long as He provides for us. We'll be happy to follow Him. But what about paying the price to follow Him? What about if there was no room in the crowd, but you wanted to go so bad that you'd pay to get in? You'd fund it yourself to make it happen. See what I'm saying? That's the cutoff. That's the cutoff. That's the guy standing in the corner of the room. Watching, but not getting in there and participating. And another, Jesus wanted him to follow. Another, follow me. Follow me. He called him. He got a personal invitation. Well, Lord, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm, I'm going to go. I want to follow you, but, 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 but my family comes first. But first, got to take care of my family. I gotta, I'm going to follow you, but I'm waiting for my father to die. He's in hospice. Or he's, you know, way up there in age and he's getting old and I don't expect him to live much longer. And as soon as he's dead, then I'll leave everything behind and I'll follow you. I'll follow you, but family comes first. Has first priority. Jesus had in his crowd of intimate followers, men who had left their family and left their business to follow him. They did not count that cost. They left it aside and did not count it. And they followed him without question. And that's what's really needed. It's it's what's really needed. You cannot really follow Jesus successfully and have anything like an outstanding performance level with him If other things come first, other priorities are more important. Again, another one also said, I'll follow you, but let me go say farewell to them or at home in my house. Once again, uh, uh, you know, this won't take long, Lord. I just got to go tell my wife I'm packing the bags and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to kiss my kids goodbye and I'm going to follow you. It won't take long. Just wait for me a little bit. If you just if you just kind of walk out of town a little bit and sit down out there under the tree by the well and wait for a half hour or an hour, an hour and a half, I can get, go home, get my bags packed, my sleeping bag, and kiss my wife and kids goodbye, and then I'll, I'll follow you. Listen, it was about the moment, the moment, the moment, the moment. There are moments, spiritual moments, where if you don't move in that moment, if you don't respond right now while the feeling is on you, while a conviction is strong, while the pull is so strong in your heart that you said, I 
can change my life today. I can get the Holy Ghost today. I can be saved today. I can turn my life around today. If only. I, I gotta wait. Just, just, come on. Give me a chance. Hallelujah. I'll never forget the night Brother John Heller got, got saved, got the Holy Ghost. His first service in church, in the church years ago in Melbourne. His first service. I preached the sermon. He was sitting on the edge of his seat, just about to explode inside of himself, waiting for that moment. As soon as I stopped preaching and opened up the altar, he came running. I'm right about there. He came running, and he flung himself across the platform. I mean, prostrate over the floor, his feet hanging off the edge of the platform there, laying on his belly, crying out to God. It was the funniest thing. If it hadn't have been so serious... And in 10 minutes, he was speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. It wasn't about going home and saying goodbye. It wasn't about going home and getting your house in order. It wasn't about, I'll come again the next Sunday, and I'll have the same opportunity. No, you may not. You may not have the same feeling. You may never be as close to this feeling you have right now again. You may never be under as much conviction as you are right now at another point. You may never feel the draw and the pull of God. Uh, another day, another service, another Sunday, like you do right now. And now is the time, and Jesus knows it. And He's waiting for somebody to say, Here it is, I'm following. I'm getting out of the corner, and I'm jumping in. Feet first. Feet first. Let's stand together. I'm closing. The musicians can come. Musicians can come quickly. And, and uh, hallelujah. So what did Jesus say of this situation? He said, a man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy. You started to do the job. You started to do it. You started to, to go through, but you didn't go through. You fell back. Not worthy. Now, what God is speaking today and what he's showing me as a pastor, what he's showing me, what I'm seeing, is that there are people who are here. Part of the church, people who are here, but you're standing in the corner of the room, so to speak. You've been in that corner a long time. You're bound by fear. You haven't really trusted your life to God. You, you know this is truth, or you believe Better than 90%, you're sure that it is true and it is right. Maybe you've even experienced the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But your life, spiritual life, is, is not flourishing. It's on some kind of phase, standby, hold back. You're afraid to worship. You don't worship. You don't pray. You don't pray through. It's rare that the Holy Spirit ever moves on you and causes you to shake or tremble or speak in tongues. It isn't God's fault. It's not God's fault that your spiritual candle isn't burning strong. It's not God's fault that you don't have a growing or even outstanding passion for Him and for worship. 
Hallelujah. It's not his fault. It's the fault of standing in the corner of the room and watching it happen all around you. And you're connected to the party. You're connected to the church. You're, you're connected to people who are important, who are doing outstanding things, but, but that isn't, that's not been for you. You've been holding yourself back. Holding back. The word of God to you today is come out of the corner and get into the mainstream of the work of God. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed as we are gathering our thought and our heart and our spirit for prayer. And this altar is open for whosoever will to come and to pray. Amen. And to surrender your life to the Lord. Whosoever will may come at this time. You find that I'm someone who's held back. I've, I've been held back by fear. I, I've, been, I've been held back. I'm doing it to myself. I'm, I'm not really getting with it. Others are being blessed and they're getting in there and they're getting with it. And they feel God and I see the worship. And their worship is unfettered and unbound. But, it, but it, it's not happening for me. I'm holding back. I don't trust God. I don't trust the Spirit of God. What am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? God really getting a hold of me? God really splashing me all over the place? What am I really afraid of? I'm afraid of something. What is it? I'm standing in the corner of the room where God's Spirit is moving so strong. And I could have it. I could be a part of it. If I choose to be, I can come out of this corner. If I want to, I can come out of this corner and find my way to God. Oh, church, let's gather together and pray this morning. Thank you, Jesus.